Welcome to the Washington Union Alliance Church Podcast, an archive of our recorded sermons. We're a Christian and Missionary Alliance Church located in Newcastle, Pennsylvania. For more information, go to wuac.org. We're delighted to have Brandon Nutter with us. Uh, Brandon has been a part of our community for quite a few years and yet has been away from us because he's one of our international workers now serving in the Dominican Republic with Envision. Uh, Envision is an arm of the Christian and Missionary Alliance and we'll hear a lot more about what that is when Brandon comes. Brandon and Bethany uh, have been uh, leading in that ministry together and their children, uh, two boys and a girl, and they are looking forward to the time of being able to go back, but now they're on home assignment. Home assignment is to be a time of rest, and yet often isn't because of going around, but they've been able to have some rest time, some time for family, uh, time to sort of rejuvenate. Uh, Now being out on the road a lot, uh, pray because it's not just vacation time. Uh, It's a lot of meeting and speaking and encouraging people to pray and to give uh, for the glory of the Lord and for his work around the world. So we're happy to have Brandon with us. God bless you as you come. Good morning. It is great to be back. As Phil mentioned, um, we used to live here in Newcastle. We were here from 2008 to 2014 and had the great privilege of serving with Phil for several years and uh, was a great mentor in my life. I've actually uh, been deeply connected to this church uh, with your last three pastors, including Phil. Landon and I are actually friends, so uh, I told him when I got up to the pulpit this morning that I would take a selfie and send it to him. Uh, so we're all going to uh, do something crazy. I'll take a picture and send it to Landon after church uh, this morning. So here we go. Are we ready? Everybody say cheese. Jeez. See if I can get do, do it without screwing up. There we go. All right, I'll send that to Landon. He says to say hello. And then uh, Rich Noble, the pastor before Landon, was actually my ordination mentor. And I saw him earlier this week as well, and he said to please say hello. Uh, so I love this church, and I'm grateful for you all. And really believe that uh, one of the great parts of being an Alliance missionary is we're not some outside organization that's coming in asking you for your support. We are you. We were raised by you, developed by you, sent by you, planting churches. That Those are your ministries. Uh, the Envision uh, Greenhouse Coffee Shop is your ministry. And we only, our role is to steward that ministry. But ultimately, it's, the, it's all of ours. So we're really grateful for all of you and your commitment to the Lord uh, here at uh, Washington Union Alliance Church. Uh, I wanted to share just in a it's five minutes or less, kind of what I shared yesterday for those that weren't able to make it, to give you an update about what we're, we're doing. So we're really talking this year, uh, I in particular, what is your role in God's mission? We believe that to bring back the king, uh, the Bible talks about when we finish the Great Commission, Matthew 24, 14, when this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in the whole world is a testimony to the nations, and then the end will come, that that's the clear sign in Scripture when Jesus will return. Simpson used that verse frequently. Uh, There's some great stories about him talking to non-believers about that verse. We want to bring back the king. And when we finish this work, we can do that. And so we have a saying in the Alliance, all of Jesus for all the world takes all of us. And we really believe that. And so the faster we can get this job done, 
I mean, anybody would like to be with Jesus? Like, if he wants to interrupt me right now, you'd be fine missing the sermon. Uh, me too. I'd, rather, I'd be happy to go right now and be with Jesus. So let's get this job done so that we can ultimately be with him. We all have a role to play in that. So just a little bit about what we do. You can, we can blitz through these. This is my family. They've obviously gotten much bigger. Andrew is 17. He's a junior in high school. Uh, he will be fin- going back for his last year of high school. He wants to graduate with his friends. He's a great group of friends in Santo Domingo. Benjamin is 14. He's in eighth grade. So he'll do all four years of high school in the Dominican. Uh, we do four years at a time. And then Lily is 12. She is in sixth grade uh, and just a joy to be, as part of our family. Uh, I will say a few things this morning, too. That I mentioned these yesterday. Many times I use the wrong pronouns, and not in the way that you think. Right? We hear a lot about that in culture. What I mean by that is many times I say I, but what I really mean is we. Uh, Bethany and I do these ministries, are involved in these things completely together. Uh, when everything that I'm involved in, she's involved in. We do it as a team. And so I, I know I'm the one that gets to go on tour and speak to churches, and she's at home with our kids. But please know that she is vital to everything that goes on, uh, a full, full partner in our ministry. This is a little bit about the alliance around the world. We have over 6.5 million alliance believers. There are over almost 330,000 alliance people just in the United States. So you can see we're very much a global movement, not U.S. heavy. And that's really been our DNA from the very, very beginning. We have 700 missionaries around the world, and they are represented in uh, four different specialized structures or four specialties. They are access, which is primarily about church planting. Uh, They're the largest part of our force. There's about 400 of them. And I believe that actually they still should be because we are a church-based group who want to plant churches who will then plant other churches who will then plant other churches. That's who we are. And so they are the largest part of our force. The second group is called Marketplace Ministries. They do businesses mission where uh, we, Pastor Phil and I, we could not go into a place and say, I'm Reverend so-and-so and talk about Jesus. It wouldn't work. So they either open a business or they teach a university to have a legal means to be in those places. And uh, we don't want them being kicked out or killed. And so they have, have to create some legal means to be in those places. Grateful for those workers. Uh, and then we have Kama, which is Compassion and Mercy Associates. They do relief and development work around the world in, in impoverished communities. They do, uh, when there's a hurricane, in our particular case, right, we have hurricanes blow through the Caribbean all the time, or in Florida, or uh, earthquakes, or tsunamis, whatever it may be, they've gone in and helped these communities, war refugees, lots of different kinds of ministries that are doing relief and development with the idea of uh, sharing Christ with, the, with those communities. So we're grateful for them. The last one that Bethany and I are part of is Envision. You can go to the next slide. Uh, We are about identifying and developing the next generation of missional leaders. Why do we do that? Because the work's not done. And the 700 of us that are on the field right now needs to be about 10,000. We need to develop the next generation of missional leaders so that we can finish this task already. I, you know... I said this yesterday, Coca-Cola is 125 years old, maybe 130. They are literally every place I've ever been, and I've been all over the globe. The most remote desert, the deepest jungle, the highest mountain, you can find Coca-Cola. Why can we not find Jesus everywhere on the planet? We've had 2,000 years to get this job done, so let's finish. If we took it seriously, if we gave and if we went and if we prayed, with all the Christians around the world, we could get it done in our lifetime. And so that's what we want to be about in Envision, identifying and developing those people who need to go and serve around the world. 
And we do that in a number of different ways in our context in the Dominican Republic, four different ways, with Americans who come and serve with us. So we're all constantly saying, you know, if you're on a short-term trip, you need to come maybe and consider this long-term. God used short-term trips in my life when I was a teenager to confirm the calling he had placed on, me, on my life, and we want to keep seeing that. We also work with the Dominican National Church. Each country has an independent alliance network of churches that then eventually all, that we all get together. So there's a Dominican alliance, an American alliance, a Peruvian alliance, a French alliance, you name it. And so the Dominican Alliance is 140 churches, and so we spend a lot of time with their leadership, identifying and developing their leaders as well. The third area is with one child, a uh, ministry called One Child, and I'll talk about that in a second. And the last, well, probably the most exciting thing, at least this last term, has been our Greenhouse Student Center. So you can keep moving. These are just some of the ways that you can serve uh, in the Dominican if you uh, want to come, including... Uh, anyone of any age, actually, we have a retired couple right now that are filling in for us, uh, have a lifetime of, of experience. He worked, he was a plant manager, for, uh, and she, I think she was a teacher. They're coming down, they just retired a little bit early and came down and are with us for a year. This is the fifth country they've done it. All the way down to kids can come and serve with us. Uh, as the next slide, uh, with the network with the National Church, we love that. We sit on the board of directors for the Dominican Alliance, thinking through processes and strategy, uh, theological development for their pastors, and we love that ministry. Next one is One Child. Oh, this is a picture of all of our pastors. They're an amazing group of men uh, that we love working with. One Child is uh, child sponsorship, essentially. And we have 15 centers in the DR, average between two and 300 kids per center, and we've seen massive church growth. Uh, whole communities brought out of poverty. The gospel has just exploded in many of these places, and we're grateful for that. That doesn't take a lot of personal work on our part. It's more of a partnership, but it's just been awesome to be a part of. And then the last one is the greenhouse. Uh, you saw a video just a few weeks ago, right, uh, of the coffee shop that we've started. And it's just been a joy to be there, and I'm going to probably spend uh, the mo majority of my message time this morning talking about greenhouse. But you can flip through. These are just some people that come into the shop. Uh, keep going, keep going. If you wanted to hear all the stories, you had to be here yesterday. And if you are on Instagram, you can follow that on thegreenhouse.rd. I'm not even on Instagram, but I know a lot of people are. Uh, and then we've added some new teammates, praise the Lord. We, Bethany and I have been in the DR for 10 years, and 95% of that time, or 99% of that time, by ourselves. And we were just exhausted and pretty burnt out. And we were, we've been praying for a long time, many years. I think even last time I was here, five years ago, we were praying for teammates. And the Lord hasn't provided one, but two amazing couples who will join us. Okay. That's just the brief recap of what we've been up to over the last uh, four years. If you have your Bible, and before we get to Scripture, actually, I forgot. One of my favorite Spanish songs that we sing in our churches, I thought I would perform one for you, makes me feel a little bit more at home. So we're going to do two things that are very Dominican. One is we're going to do a Spanish song. The second thing is in all of our churches, whenever anyone takes the microphones to sing, give announcements, preach, worship, whatever, they always say the exact same thing when they go to the pulpit, and then they repeat it. And the phrase is, Dios le bendiga. Does anybody know what that means? Yeah, or God bless you. Yep. God bless you. Dios le bendiga. And the audience responds with, anybody know? Let's say amen, right? 
That's Spanish for amen. Uh, and then the speaker will say, Dios le bendiga más, which means God bless you more. And then the second time the audience says amen really loud. So we're going to practice that and make me feel more at home. And if we could turn the temperature up to about 90 degrees, I'd really feel at home. Uh, so those two things combined. So Dios le bendiga. Dios le bendiga más. There we go. Now we're in Dominican church. So I want to sing this uh, song for you. It's my favorite uh, Spanish song that we sing in our churches. Cristo es la peña de Jorem que está brontando agua de vida saludable para ti. Cristo es la peña de Oreb que está brontando agua de vida saludable para ti. Ven a tomarla que es más dulce que la miel. Refresca el alma, refresca todo tu ser. Cristo es la peña de Oreb que está rondando agua de vida saludable para ti. Cristo es el lirio de valle de las flores. Él es la rosa blanca y pura de Sharon. Cristo es la vida y amor en las amores. Él es la fuente eterna de la salvación. Ven a tomar la que es más dulce que la miel. Refresca el alma, refresca todo tu ser. Cristo es la peña de Oreb que está brontando. Agua de vida saludable para ti. Refresca todo tu ser, Cristo es la peña de Oreb que está brontando, agua de vida saludable para ti, agua de vida saludable para ti, agua de vida saludable para ti. I will also say most of our worship, we have that style, but then we also do a lot of merengue. And so in our churches, you don't stand still when you worship. It is really fun. Uh, they have a lot of joy for the Lord as they worship. If you have a Bible, we're going to weave in some stories this morning about what's been going on in Greenhouse. And one of the things I love about Scripture, we believe it's the Word of God. It's inerrant. It's perfect in every way. Inspired by God, uh, there's no flaw. Uh, but another thing that's amazing about Scripture, I think the Lord God, He chose certain stories to put in there because they reflect our lives. The battles and the struggles that we're going through, we are their patterns and how these stories work that reflect very much about the realities that we're living in. So we're going to look at a, a passage of Scripture this morning. It's a story in the book of Mark, Mark chapter 5, verses 2 through 20. 
that I think many times reflects what's the going on in the reality of Santo Domingo in this coffee shop that we've opened. It's a reality that's happening here in Newcastle, Pennsylvania. It's a reality that's happening everywhere around the world. This is actually, uh, this story is twice in Scripture. It's also in Matthew chapter 8. The two authors have some slightly different details because they're coming from their own perspective. Uh, But it's it's the same story. So in good Dominican fashion, we're going to pick the longer of the two, right? Because we have church for like three or four hours, and uh, it's long in the heat. But there's always a great lunch, so... Uh, afterwards. So we'll, we wait it out. So we're going to read the longer uh, portion this morning. And I want to highlight really two groups of people that come into the greenhouse that Jesus dealt with, that you and I deal with on a daily basis. Mark chapter 5, verses 2 through 20. It says, they came to the other side of the sea, to this country of the Gerasenes. And when Jesus had stepped out of the boat, Immediately there met him out of the tombs a man with an unclean spirit. He lived among the tombs, and no one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain, for he had often been bound with shackles and chains. But he wrenched the chains apart, and he broke the shackles in pieces. No one, no one had the strength to subdue him. Night and day among the tombs and on the mountains, he was always crying out and cutting himself with stones. And when Jesus When he saw Jesus from afar, he ran and fell down before him. And crying out with a loud voice, he said, What have you to do with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? I adjure you by God, do not torment me. For he was saying to him, Come out of the man, you unclean spirit. And Jesus asked him, What is your name? He replied, My name is Legion, for we are many. And he begged him earnestly not to send them out of the country. Now a great herd of pigs was feeding there on the hillside, and they begged him, saying, Send us into the pigs. Let us enter them. So he gave them permission. And the unclean spirits came out and entered the pigs, and the herd, numbering about 2,000, rushed down the steep bank into the sea and drowned in the sea. The herdsmen fled and told it in the city and in the country, and people came to see what it was that had happened. And they came to Jesus and saw the demon-possessed man, the one who had the legion, sitting there clothed and in his right mind, and they were afraid. And those who had, been, who had seen it described to them what had happened to the demon-possessed man and to the pigs. And this is the saddest part of the whole story. And they be- began to beg Jesus to depart from the region. As he was getting into the boat, the man who had been possessed with demons begged him that he might be with him. But he did not permit him, but said to him, Go home to your friends and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. And he went away and began to proclaim in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him. And everyone marveled. Amen. This uh, particular portion of Scripture is really fascinating to me. As we've opened this uh, student center, uh, we are right next door to the oldest and largest university in the entire Western Hemisphere. It's over 500 years old, and there are 80,000 students right next door. Within two miles, there's actually a number of other universities that we are within reach of about 150 to 170,000 university students that desperately, desperately need Jesus. And there are two kinds of people that come into the coffee shop on a regular basis. Those that come from really dark, really broken, demonized either by oppression or possession, people on a regular basis. In fact, our next-door neighbor, uh, a lady, 
when, when we're on the second floor of our building, we can look down into her courtyard area in the back of her house, and you just see all of her witchcraft paraphernalia. Uh, you know, I didn't even recognize it the first time I saw it, but we had a Dominican friend in there helping us do a little uh, remodeling work in there, and he looked down and he's like, oh, he, he pointed out to me, that's all witchcraft stuff. He had candles and eggs and all kinds of weird things that she was doing to for spells, and we believe that some of them uh, have definitely affected the space that we're in. If you saw the video a few weeks ago, the building previously had been a brothel, and the guy who owns it is not a believer. In fact, I've never been more convinced in my life, and I've dealt with this quite a bit, of someone who's demonized and needs Jesus more than ever. So we find a guy who's like this, and the customers who come in, we find that are like this, that are just demonized and broken and struggling and hurting, but yet they keep coming. So I want to point out a few interesting things that I find from this story that I think we can apply to our situation in Santo Domingo, but also here. Number one, with this guy who was demonized, he said his name was Legion, but that was really the demon's name. Uh, when people come into the shop, what we don't do is uh, ask, the, at least as the first question, why they are demonized. Did you notice this in the story? Was it important that he was demonized? Yes? No? Did that matter? It absolutely did. Was there probably a backstory of, you know, he opened himself up to it, or his parents did something that opened him to the demonic, right? Is that probably all true? Is that even addressed in this scripture? Why? What happened to this man? It's not. What we do when we work with the students who come into our shop, we, the first thing we don't ask is, what did they do to deserve this? Why are, it, why are they in this situation? Why, we had a guy come in not that long ago, so strung out on drugs, you, you, you wouldn't believe it. Uh, running from the law, he was actually a U.S. citizen, but he ran to the Dominican Republic to avoid uh, arrest and has been coming into our coffee shop, and he is a mess. But the first thing we didn't ask him is, you know, what's your problem? Like, you know, go back, get cleaned up, and then you can come back in. That's not what Jesus does here at all. What's the first thing that Jesus actually says to this guy who's demonized, who has a backstory, who probably got himself into, into some trouble, was unclean, right? He was living among the tombs. What's the first thing that Jesus says to him? He says, and Jesus asked him, what is your name? There's a desire, and maybe he was speaking to the demons, but I think he was probably speaking to the man himself. He wanted to know him. He wanted to care for this person. He wanted a relationship with this guy. And as we have people come into our shop, our desire is first to love them well, to know who they are, to care about the, the person and not care so much, at least initially, I'll say that, about the deep sin and brokenness that they find themselves in. Do we need to address the sin and the brokenness? Not a rhetorical question. Do we need to address it? In the DR, people talk back to me, so I'm used to hear, having people speak. They, we do, but it's not the first thing that we need to address. It's not the first thing we address with people that come into the coffee shop. It is eventually dealt with, but we want to know their name. We want to know that they're cared for, that they're loved, and as people come into this church, is the first thing you do is, what is your name? Tell me who you are. We'll, we'll get to your brokenness. We will address that. But we want to know who they are. Second thing, 
uh, I find it interesting. Who were the first people in this community when Jesus entered into the area? Right, he had just been somewhere else. He was traveling, and got to this area. Who was the first person that wanted an interaction? One wanted an interaction with Jesus. The man who was demonized. Was it the nice, responsible, upstanding citizens of town who ran out to meet Jesus? It wasn't. It was the broken, hurting guy who was hurt, cut, literally cutting himself, living among the tombs, was rejected by the community. This was the guy who ran to Jesus, the demonized guy. Demonized people many times when they're hurting so bad can't ignore the presence of Jesus. And when we take the presence of Jesus to people, when they come to us, we are the presence of Jesus in their lives. Those are many times the, the best opportunities that we're going to have for evangelism. Uh, we have a f girl that would, uh, comes into the coffee shop, and I remember distinctly, um, college student, you know, uh, probably 20, 21 years old, and she came in, and she wasn't dressed very appropriately, but like, well, we'll talk to her anyway. We're going to love her. We want to know her name. And I remember just she came to our English conversation group because learning English is a big deal in the Dominican. So she came in for that, and her necklace was a pentagram, right? Someone that followed a lot of New Age stuff, but also uh, witchcraft, was very wrapped up in it. And you could see it in her face, too. You just knew that this girl was dealing with that, those kinds of things. But she was one of our very first people that came in. She was the one that started asking questions. In fact, she told us later she had actually been really traumatized by uh, Christians who just screamed at her and told her she was going to hell. And so she didn't initially want to even come into our shop, but she felt like maybe this is a safe place that I can come in. These people will care about me. So she told us that I was actually afraid to come in here the first time because I thought you were just going to scream at me, tell me how awful I am. And we let her come to our conversation group. We got to know her. She, she's a gifted artist. Um, and so she started to show us some of her, her drawings and artwork. And they were kind of inappropriate artwork. But, like, you know, it, you know she, it, clearly she was talented. And she doesn't show us that stuff anymore, thankfully. Uh, but she has other artwork that's really amazing. We want to love this girl. And she continues to come. And she is hearing the message of Jesus on a regular basis. Please pray for her that God would work in her heart, that she would eventually know Jesus as her Savior. The next point, as we look at these demonized, broken, hurting people, people tried to help this guy. Did you catch that in the beginning of the passage? The people of this community, they did their best effort to try to help this guy, but they had no success. What did they do? They bound him up in chains. They tied him up to try to limit his craziness, to try to limit the damage that he could do, not only to the community, but probably the damage he was doing to himself. But it just doesn't work. Without the presence of Jesus and the power of the Holy Spirit, we can do nothing. This guy needed an encounter with Jesus. And when you're dealing with people, we do want to help them. We do want to help people from cutting themselves and living among the tombs and doing ridiculous things and running around naked as this guy did. We do want to help that, help that situation. But maybe the first thing they need is Jesus. Not maybe. They do. The first thing they absolutely need is Jesus. The power and the presence, the peace, the love, the joy of Jesus in their life before we go and try to bind them with shackles so they stop doing stupid things. 
That guy who's addicted to drugs that comes in all the time, it would probably be helpful to, for him to get in a program. Those things do help, and we're grateful for those things. But the first thing that he needs is what? He needs Jesus. And this guy, no matter what chain they put on him to help himself, but also to help avoid destruction in the community, had no success. Did he get in his right mind? Did he stop cutting himself? Did he stop living among the tombs? All the horrible th sins that he was involved in, did that happen? It did, right? It says later, he was, uh, as the townspeople were around him, uh, they were shocked, like this guy sitting in his right mind and clothed and not cutting himself. And, and uh, it, the Lord did this miraculous work, but it was the presence of Jesus that changed his life. The power of the Holy Spirit that really made the difference. And so as we have these people come in, our first priority is that they would experience the presence of Jesus. Uh, one of the things that as we opened this coffee shop, you probably you saw it in the videos, when we entered into that space, we had a group of uh, Alliance pastors come in. There was about 12 of them. And the day we got the key, this was a couple years ago. And so I was like, well, this is a perfect opportunity since they're all here. I asked all of them, I said, would you go into every little nook and cranny of this building and just pray over the entire space? And so we would have like three or four of these guys walking in, you know, in this tiny little bathroom, praying in the bathroom and in the closet and everywhere. We were going to pray over this entire place. And as we were praying over the space, I really got the sense, uh, I, you know, was it the Holy Spirit? I think it was now. I wasn't 100% convinced in the moment, but I thought I heard the Spirit tell me two words, and they were in Spanish, tristeza miedo, which means sadness and fear. And I was like, it was just overwhelming the sense of sadness and fear as we were in this building. And so we go back downstairs, and the Bible tells us uh, to test the spirits, right? I wasn't sure if it was what I ate for lunch that day or if it was, was the Holy Spirit speaking to me. And so I, we tested the spirit. I asked these guys, this is what I felt like the Lord said to me. What do you think? And they're like, oh, no, totally. That's exactly what I heard as well. So we knew that the, in, whatever had happened in this building, it was sadness and fear. And we found out a few days later why we got the sense of sadness and fear. It was a brothel. And most of the, all those girls that were in there were most likely trafficked. So much so that the neighbor who introduced himself, who told us this story, said he could hear the girls crying at night. It's a place of brokenness, of sadness, of, of fear. And what's been absolutely amazing is we prayed over the spaces. We really cleansed this building from the demonic power that was there. People come in all the time and say, what, you know, they said to my wife one time, what, what do you believe? Who are you? Because there's a peace here that I don't understand. Like, what's going on, right? The peace that passes understanding. And we say, it's the Prince of Peace. He is the one that's providing this. It's not us. It's nothing that we can do. But when people come in there, they are sensing the power and the presence of Jesus. And when people come into this church or into your home, do they experience the power and the presence of Jesus? Or is the first thing you're trying to do is bind them up with shackles so they stop hurting themselves? It's Jesus that they need. The, the next point is many times, and this is something you probably all already know, demonized people hurt themselves. And they isolate themselves. This this guy, did he have any business living among the tombs? Right? In fact, it says in Scripture, if you even touched a tomb as a Jewish person, 
you were unclean for a number of days, and you had to go through this whole ritualistic process to become uh, clean again. But not only did he touch a tomb, he lived there. He was so isolated that he knew that his brokenness, he withdrew from community, he was hurting himself, and I guarantee that everyone in this room can think of that person who has been involved in deep sin, in brokenness, in that demonization that they have ended up withdrawing themselves, they pull away, they do things that harm themselves. That is what happens when the devil has control. They need Jesus, and we need to pray for those people that they would find them. Last thing about the demonized guy, and this breaks my heart too, is that as you read, what happened to the pigs or the demons? Where did they go? Went into the pigs, and it says what? It says they numbered about 2,000, rushed down the steep bank into the sea, and drowned in the sea. They committed suicide. The pigs were smart enough to know that demonization is so bad that they killed themselves. The people in our lives that are so broken, thank the Lord they haven't done that. But it is that awful. The brokenness, the sin, the demonization they find themselves, the pigs killed themselves. It was better that than have them be, have them be possessed. Are you bringing the presence of Jesus to those people that are that broken? We may not see it. They may be able to function in everyday, day-to-day life. We have other people like that as well guy that comes in um, pursuing anything else because he had so much anxiety and brokenness in his life that he just couldn't function. Another girl that came in, she had previously been sort of a Christian, who grew up in a Christian home. Her brother had passed away tragically and when they were teenagers, and she just lived isolated and broken and guilty because of her brother's death. And when she would come in, she actually um, she had so much, so many problems that she initially didn't want to commit, but did. And then we found her, I told the story yesterday, uh, sleep on our couch. We have a very comfortable couch. In fact, I've probably fallen asleep on it myself. But she would come in and we, she would sleep, and not like a quick 10-minute power nap. This was like to, to the point where I said to my staff, like, we can't have people like sleeping, sleeping in here. Like, they're gonna, she's going to scare away customers. We need, you know, we need people buying coffee and those. And I said, we can't have her sleeping in here. What, I, what we found out, though, is that this is the only place the only place where the anxiety goes away and she feels the ability to even to rest at all. So eventually we're like, okay, she can sleep whenever she wants because she experiences the power and the presence of Jesus. And the anxiety goes away, the fear in her life goes away to where she can find true rest. She has come to uh, return to the Lord. We're really grateful for that, and she actually has helped us like, on occasion teach a couple Bible studies that we've been involved in, and God is doing an amazing work uh, in her life. But there's a second group of people that we deal with on a regular basis in the greenhouse. Uh, as we're two blocks from the Caribbean, so if, you ha- if you're not interested already, that should be enough to have you come down. There are a lot of uh, hotels and embassies. The United Nations is nearby, Peace Corps, government offices, they're all nearby. So we've draw, started to draw what we, th- we thought it would only be college students. That's who we were targeting. But we started to get all these upper-class upper international people from all over the world that are they're looking. We, on Go- if you go on Google Maps, we have a five-star rating on Google Maps. People type in coffee shop, and we're the first one that pops up. So we get all these people that are coming in. It's been fascinating. And one guy in particular, he's a French guy. 
great customer. I mean, he spends a lot of money, and we're really grateful. Uh, but he uh, decided he's starting a business, and he's got four or five staff members. They're developing an app uh, and an online, uh, online Dominican lottery gambling site. And very upstanding citizen, very well connected to the French embassy. In fact, he helped us, one of our students get a uh, visa to go to Europe, to go to the European Union. Nice guy, right? Very friendly. And then uh, he tried to light up a cigarette one time in the, in the shop. We said, no, you can't do that. But he goes outside and smokes. But very, very charming and kind and nice and makes a lot of money and pays his employees well. There are a lot of people like that in this community in this passage as well doing illicit business, something they had no business being involved in, very probably upstanding citizens. They were in the synagogue every Saturday. Nice, nice people. But what did this group of people tell Jesus? Go away. They didn't just say leave. They begged him. It says, and they began to beg Jesus to depart from their region. I think a lot of times the nice Upstanding citizens are harder to reach than the really broken ones because they think they have it all together. They think they know what's right and wrong. They go to church on Sunday. This, these people went to synagogue on Saturday. This French guy, he was one of those priesters, right, Christmas and Easter. Uh, he would go to the Catholic church. Nice guy, but has, wants nothing to do with Jesus. Maybe that's you. Maybe that's someone in your home or a neighbor, or a coworker, But the hard part about these people is they don't want to change because serious change can be really scary. They were, they were afraid. Like, what in the world just happened? They just experienced a miracle. And what does it say? It says, they saw this guy who had the legion sitting there clothed and in his right mind, and they were, what? They were afraid. What should have they been doing? They should have been rejoicing. I mean, praise God that this guy is sitting in his right mind and clothed. But rather than rejoicing at what God had done, it freaked him out. When God does the, a miracle in the life of someone around you or, or God chooses to heal someone in this church or do a miraculous thing here, does it scare you or do you rejoice? Are you the upstanding citizen or are you a true follower of Jesus? Because serious change in people's lives can be scary. And we don't have control of it. The Holy Spirit does that, and it can be scary. The second thing about these upstanding, responsible citizens, and we have many others that come in as well, is that serious good change in your life might cost you something. But what God will replace it with is infinitely better than anything you have right now. The, these Jewish people in this community, what did they own? Pigs. Do they have any business owning pigs? No. They were, in fact, encouraging their fellow citizens to sin, right? And I imagine, I know why. Like, once you taste bacon, there's no going back. Um, it's, it's good stuff. But they owned 2,000 pigs. And they were probably, and I am guarantee that it wasn't just the Romans and the Gentiles buying this, the pork. It was probably their fellow Jews as well. This French guy that comes in, he's getting Dominicans, his neighbors, to bury themselves in debt, and it's right, it's the poor who play the lottery and gamble. It's not the wealthy people who have extra income. And then it drives the cycle of poverty. These people were asking people to do, be in illicit sin. They were in sin themselves, and, but it was worth a lot of money. 2,000 pigs, is, that's a huge investment 
Probably something that took their whole lives to get to the point to have 2,000 pigs. But when Jesus shows up, it might cost you something. And it's scary. Um, I'll tell this story about our, our lives. I grew up in a very upper-middle-class home. My parents, we belonged to a country club. I played golf five or six days a week, went to a private Christian school, private college, and uh, I felt the Lord was calling. And I probably could have. My sister makes a ton of money. Uh, I could have been doing the same exact thing, you know, several hundred thousand dollars a year. That's what my, li- my life was setting up that way. And uh, I felt the Lord call me into missions. And my dad even said, well, why don't you just study business just in case it doesn't work out? And I was like, just, you know, so in other words, just in case the Lord doesn't fulfill his promise. Uh, and he's a believer, and, and he underst- eventually, eventually understood, but was really wanting me to pursue that life over what God had called me to. We gave that up. We gave up the country club life, the nice cars, the big home, vacations all over. But I can tell you that I have the greatest job in the world. The power, the, when we experience Jesus working these college students, these internationals that we get to be a part of, these Dominican pastors who are changing their communities, I can't imagine doing anything else. People say it to me all the time, oh, they feel sorry for us, the poor, poor missionaries that live in a, you know, it's a hard place and they're not near their family. Like, don't feel sorry for me. Like, I'm living the dream. But it costs me something. Not that we're missing any meals, obviously, right? Uh, I've probably, I've put on a bunch of weight this year. Um, but that's kind of a home assignment for, right? Eat all the good food in the United States. So we're not missing any meals, but we gave all that up, and it was the greatest thing I've ever done. God might be calling you to give something up, but it will be the greatest thing you ever do. When you passionately pursue Jesus, it is awesome. And I don't want to do anything else. God might be calling you to serve around the world, but you're going to have to give up your job, move away from your family, do some hard things, but it is incredible. Uh, there's this, there's like when we t- think about Acts chapter 1 and Matthew 28, Jesus actually says, all authority has been given me, therefore go. And Acts 1.8 says, and you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you will be my witnesses. And so the, po- the power and authority of Jesus are in those two situations are accompanied by what? Going and w- being witnesses and taking the gospel around the world. And when we get to operate in the power and authority of Jesus all the time, it, it's like a drug. You can't get enough. It's incredible. And that is where we want to invest our lives. But it cost us something. But I can't ever imagine going back. Maybe God is asking you. And if these people had just given up these pigs and pursued Jesus, they could have been listed among the apostles. They could have been the, part of that 500 in the upper room, but they gave it up and asked Jesus to go away. And it would break my heart this morning if you leave here today and don't pursue Jesus because it's greater than anything. Two more, and we'll be done. Ignoring serious change forfeits the presence of Jesus. You may have experienced, you may have felt the tugging of the Holy Spirit upon your life at some point, or someone in your family may have felt that tug of God upon their life, and you rejected it, and you sent him away. But when you do that, you forfeit the presence of Jesus. He, he, he wasn't going to force himself on these people. He's not going to force himself upon you. But when you do reject him, you are forfeiting his presence. There is hope for these, this group of people, though. There's hope for me. There's hope for you as 
upstanding good citizens who have good jobs but who reject Jesus sometimes what did how did Jesus respond to these people at the end what was his goal for them he left he he left his presence went away he went somewhere else but what does he tell the guy who had been demonized cuz he asked to go with him he says go home Jesus tells this guy, go home to your friends and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. And he went away and began to proclaim in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him, and everyone marveled. Jesus didn't give up on these people. It was a long, hard work. And there may be someone in your life, in your home, in your work, in your extended family. It's going to be hard, long work. But Jesus didn't give up on these nice people, and we shouldn't either. That French guy, he keeps coming in. We pray with him. It, sometimes it doesn't feel like we're making any progress, but we're going to love him anyway. We're going to allow him to, you know, we're going to share scripture with him. And we're going to little by little pray that eventually he will give his life to Jesus. He will give up the thing that he needs to give up to come to Jesus. If you look a few chapters later in the book of Mark, Jesus returns to the Decapolis. And does anyone know what happened? People brought their sick out in droves for Jesus to heal them. In droves, they were coming out to experience Jesus. And who do you think told them about Jesus? It was this guy. It was the demonized guy that told all of his friends and the entire community who marveled at what God had done. Maybe God is asking you to go to those nice people to talk about what he's done. And we don't have to necessarily know the entire, you know, we don't need to take a systematic theology course to be able to talk about Jesus. It's helpful. Right? We should know our theology well. But what did, what did this guy talk about? Did he talk about um, all the big theological words? Or what did he say? Anybody, anybody can say it out loud. The very last verse, verse 20. He talked about what Jesus had done for him. God is just asking us, what has Jesus done in your life? And what, because then he wants to impact others' lives as well. Jesus later showed up and did amazing healings. He didn't give up on these people. And we're not going to give up on people in Santo Domingo either. We're going to love them well. We're going to deal with the demonized people who are quick to come to Jesus, who need a divine touch. But the other people need a divine touch as well. So where are you at today? Are you broken? Are you hurting? Are you isolated? Jesus wants to do a miracle in your life. Will you allow him in to change your life drastically? Maybe you're safe this morning and you have a good job and there's just something keeping you from the presence of Jesus. You're holding on to that thing that's not allowing you to go into deep intimacy with Jesus. If you let it go, your life will never be better. I can promise you that. And that is our hope for Santo Domingo. That's our hope for Newcastle, Pennsylvania. And it's our hope for the world, the power and the presence of Jesus.